At the end of the year, I, I wanted out. He'd called me a cancer, and I said, well, he couldn't be more accurate. I am a cancer. I was born July 16th, you know. <laughs> I'm a cancer. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome into the Raw Knuckles podcast today. Uh, Knuckles is without Tim. Tim's down in Florida playing golf today. Uh, my producer, our producer, Barry, uh, is with me today. And uh, we have a special guest today, former teammate of mine, Claude Lemieux. Uh, unbelievable career, a great story. Obviously, um, uh, well-liked by his teammates, but because, boy, he could score goals, and he did it at the most important time of the year, and that's the NHL playoffs. Um, but the guys on the other teams in the NHL absolutely hated him. And we're going to have Claude today, and uh, we're going to speak to him about um, just how much everybody loved him in the NHL. Claude, welcome to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Uh, I usually do this with um, my partner, Tim Stapleton. Tim's off playing golf somewhere today, the bastard. And uh, Barry's going to join me, uh, my <laughs> producer. So, listen, it's great to have you. And um, when I think of you, I think of not only one year, one season, but, and you know I've spoken to you about this, and I, I, I give you so much credit. That one Stanley Cup ring I have on my finger, I credit so much to you. And I know Patrick gets a lot of that credit, the other rookie who played that year. But I'll never forget Game 7 against the Whalers, a very good team. They scored with less than a minute left, Babbage. They had all the momentum going into uh, that overtime period. And uh, whenever you scored that goal, I, I'm telling you, I never was happier in my lifetime. So uh, it, you just when I see you, that is the memory for me. I remember rushing out in the ice and jumping on you and we were in that big pig pile. It was just, what memory. So good to have you. Well, it's great to be with you and both of you, I should say. And um, when you reached out, there was no hesitation on my end that I definitely wanted to do this. I don't do many podcasts or interviews, but for you, absolutely um, anything, uh, anything that you need. Well, I appreciate it. And and, and listen, I want to go back a little bit. Um, uh, and, and we think, uh, you know, Canada. We think hockey night in Canada. Me growing up in Boston. Listen, I had the Bruins. I had the Red Sox. I had the Celtics. I had the Patriots. So we, you know, there's so many sports. But here in Canada, hockey's the game. I, I want to go back to the Lemieux household in Mont Laurier, Quebec. What was it like <laughs> on a Saturday night in Mont Laurier in the Lemieux household? Well, um, you know, uh, unlike other kids, I didn't start playing hockey or fall in love with hockey because of my, my dad uh, playing or my dad being involved in the game. My dad was driving his truck, uh, you know, six, seven days a week working extremely long hours. Um, 
I fell in love with the game, watching kids play shinny hockey after school, outdoor rink in the, actually it was a different little town. At the time we're living in a place called Fermanov and uh, same little town where Jose Charbonneau uh, okay. uh, was born and grew up and, and, and a few others actually that ended up making it to, uh, to uh, the NHL. And, um, you know, I, I love watching the kids and, and went home and said to my mom, you know, and, and I thought I, I hit her with, with, with something when I said I, I'd love to get some skates and, and a stick and I want to play with the kids after school and the look on her face. And, you know, the look on her face was how, how are we going to do that because we don't have any money. Um, we weren't poor, but um, we weren't well off by any means. And and went to uh, this guy, a shoemaker, was selling you skates. And I remember buying a pair, first first pair of skates. They're probably four or five sizes, too too big, and and uh, put a bunch of socks. And, and that's just how I started. And and um, and and of course, what led to sitting in front of TV on Saturday night uh, with mom and and. Jocelyn and my sister was, you know, we love watching hockey. We love watching the, the Canadians winning Stanley Cups, you know, on a, on a year-to-year basis. They were seemed like they were winning every year back then. And um, those were my early days in, in the hockey. Went from playing shinny outdoor onto a team within about a year. And I was always a big kid and, you know, a little bit bigger, stronger than most kids my age. And and I just, I, I just love the game. I love playing hockey. I love playing shinny, and you know, throw your sticks in the pile. There was 25, 30 kids out there, anywhere from age six to probably fourteen, and you just had to survive. It's the best way to learn to play the game. Yeah, being out in that pond, no question about it. And, and listen, even me growing up in Boston, I had the opportunity to play out on the pond a little bit, but not near as much as up here because it wasn't as cold all winter so but you know every neighborhood here has an outdoor rink uh throughout the winter so certainly you grow up playing the neighborhood then um what was the route to junior hockey for you because both you and josh played junior you played minor hockey around uh mount laurier and then were you drafted into the queue you know i was sort of a first of of a first uh uh, my dream really growing up was to play. We had a really good junior B team. And uh, actually the guys that were ended up coaching me uh, through my peewee, Bantam and, and, and midget were former, you know, junior players, guys that came to our little town and, and played on the junior B team and ended up getting jobs and marrying local girls. And they, they stayed there and they, they started coaching. So they, they were great coaches. And um, my youth hockey, being a small town, we never had better than double B, no double A, but we could beat everybody. Uh, we were really good. I was never really one of the top players on, on, uh, on any of my youth teams until later. And um, I remember this guy worked for the uh, RCMP, moved to our hometown. He, he started coaching the junior team. And uh, I'd been given permission, I was uh, 14, and had been given permission to start training with the junior team. And um, he said, look, um, he met with me and my parents, and he said, you know, you can practice with us as long as I'm here, but you're never going to play for this team. 
and I was crushed. And he said, because there's something bigger for you. And I'm going to talk with some people and, and they're going to come and see you this year. And, and the goal should be to go from here to midget AAA and, um, and then, you know, to major junior. So that's exactly what happened. They came and see me. I was, I was a Bannon playing midgets. I ended up playing three years in midget. And my last year, I was 16. I left home with probably five cents in my pocket. And this, uh, this man came and picked me up and took me to his home and uh, just outside Montreal and played uh, for the Richelieu um, team um, and, and um, played AAA. And, you know, from that, from that point, drafted in the first round in major junior, playing for the uh, uh, Three Rivers uh, team my first year. And, and uh, a year later, drafted by the Canadians in the, in the second round. So it was quick. I mean, you and I became teammates. I, was, I just turned 18 years old and, uh, and made the team and stayed with the Canadians for a couple months early in the season before I was sent back down. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. Uh, I remember that year, the draft. I mean, Momo was drafted just after Sergio Momesso. And when I look at that draft in 83 and I go back, I, I look at the first round and I go, listen, there's so many GMs right now. If they had to do it again, Pepe wouldn't have been drafted in the second round. And surely the Habs would have picked you instead of Turcotte, knowing what they know now. But you would have, even, you would have probably been in the top eight of that draft. Um I think if guys had to do it again, listen, Brian Lawton was first picked that year overall. I think um, you would have definitely been picked before him, but Neely was in that draft, right? Cam Neely. Um, Steve Eiserman. It was was a great draft. Yeah, it was was a very good talent. And, and when (laughs) it's funny now that I say that because I, you know, we were talking Barry and I before and do you think Claude Lemieux is a Hall of Fame candidate? And I said, listen, here's the deal. Look at the numbers, regular season, and then look at the playoffs, what he did. The Stanley Cups, four of them. And I look at Cam Neely, like, hello. And, I, I, and sometimes I wonder, now listen, he didn't have that full career because of the injuries and all that. And he had some numbers, but not, you know, very similar, although your career is, I, I think, on, on a different level. And I, I wouldn't see why he would get in there and not you. You know, when we think of that consummate power forward, and he was, and so weren't you. So th- can, I, can, I add, can I add one thing, Chris? Yeah, you can. Go, go right ahead, Barry. Thank you. You pain <laughs> in the ass. 19 no. game-winning goals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's, yeah, it's is that right? I mean, that's unbelievable. That's like off the charts in the most important time of hockey. I can't figure out why you're not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, I brought that up to Chris. I can't figure yeah. it out. Why I do mean, you think, Claude? I I believe in 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 look, I believe in in destiny and I believe that if it's meant to be, it will be. Uh oh, hopefully I'm still around to experience it and and celebrate it and my family can be part of it but if it if it's not meant to be uh, look i i i'm not one to uh to criticize or to to pass you know remarks on so many gifted people that are on that uh board that make the, that make that decision who should be inducted and who should be considered um 
hockey has been so good to me and to my family. And um, I've, I have so much to be grateful for that. Uh, again, uh, yes, would it be an honor? Absolutely. Uh, am I awfully proud of my, uh, my career? Of course I am. And uh, do I believe that I could compete with the best when, when the game was on the line? Uh, yes. Do I believe I was a, one of the better clutch players in the game? Yes. Does that qualify mm -hmm. me? That's not for me to say. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't spend time really um, thinking about it. My, my first year when I was, you know, I got a bunch of phone calls when I, my first go around of uh, eligibility. And I think they, they said like, you know, we took three players and you were number four on the votes. And I sort of got caught up for a few years afterwards, waiting, thinking, yeah. yeah, thinking about it and waiting. And then I said, what am I doing? Like, I can't, I can't sit around and wait for a phone call. If it's going to happen, it'll happen someday. And again, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I got and the players that I played with, the championships that I won and, uh, and getting to play hockey with guys like you and, and, and I'm not saying this today because we're doing this podcast. I would not have had the success that I had if I didn't have guys like you, you know, around me, both on and off the ice and looking out for me and not also keeping me, you know, uh, in my place because in them early years, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know better. I mean, I was a kid from a small town and I didn't know what was right to say and right to do or, or not to say or not to do. But I had guys like you and Larry and Bob Gini, my first roommate in 86. And you guys showed me, you know, you showed me the way you led by example and then knuckles on the ice. I mean, I was a big kid, but you made me five, six inches taller and 40 pounds heavier when you were out there, you, you know, battling for us um, because you never backed down to anybody. We always knew you know, you had our backs and that that played a really big role in in my success. Well, listen, I appreciate the kind words and, you know, the Hall of Fame talk. And and I truly believe that when I look at your numbers and what you did in your career, I, you belong there. And I think it gets so political and you don't have to talk about it. I get that. I can, though. And it's like Pat Burns. It really pissed me off that they p waited to put him in when he was dead. You know, it was yeah. nice for his family, but it, it, Pat Burns, it would have been awesome for him to be there, you know, in the last year of his life to go in there. And they, they waited till he passed. So, you know, I, I have a problem with that somewhat. But anyway, we'll move on and, and we'll move on to that. And you brought it up, that early going with you and you come up and it's funny. You know, when I was a kid, my dad was a Green Beret and I, I never realized I always looked up to them guys going off to war. They were young boys, Vietnam War, 18 years old. But I, I looked at them because I was so young. I looked at them like they're big men. And, and it never really registered with me until I was in the NHL. And I've been there a few years. And then this 18-year-old kid comes in, Claude Lemieux, uh, Alfie Turcotte. <laughs> and I'm going, they, they, these guys, they don't have a clue. They're just babies. They're, they're, they were so young. And it, it was yeah. hilarious. And, and then... I really realized that when I was a kid, I, these guys I was looking up to, they weren't old. They were just kids. And when you come in, obviously, there's a learning curve. Same for me. And I had great guys around me. And certainly, you know, 
you, you, uh, there were times, right, uh, in that locker room, guys are like, hey, you know, shut up. Um, uh, yeah. Well, the sauna, uh, when you peed on the rocks, right? Peppy peed on the rocks. And then I knew you were well, going to bring that I, up. Kid, not to uh, embarrass you, but it, you were a young kid. And you thought it was funny yeah. goofing around, and certainly, but th that was part of your learning curve, right? Because then Serge came down, and what did Serge do? He called you up, right? And he sent you down, <laughs> right? And, yeah, and what happened yeah, when you absolutely. went out uh, the, the building that day? Well, you know, there's a there's a rumor that I broken the windshield off my car, which wasn't true. I hit it, but I didn't break <laughs> it. I didn't hit it hard enough. Um, and I think I went out. You know, after my meeting, I went out. Um, I went out the building so fast I didn't even shower, and uh, and got in my car. Uh, so I, of course, at that age, at that time, that's when I was 20 years yep. old, and uh, and really I felt that I was so close when I was 18. How can it be so far when I'm 20? And uh, they were trying to send a message. They wanted me to get better in certain parts of my game, and I didn't. You know, I didn't believe that. I didn't accept it. And I went as far as you remember my first agent, Boom Boom Mayer. Yeah. Um, and I said to Boom Boom, I, I'm requesting a meeting. If I'm going to go down to Sherbrooke, I want to have a meeting with the entire staff. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I want everybody in the room and I want them to look at me and tell me that I'm not good enough to play in the NHL right now. And he said, well, I can, I can ask. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm not recommending that. I said, well, I'm demanding it. And the next day, wow. Knuckles, I, didn't I had a meeting I didn't know with this. Serge, oh. Jacques Lemaire, Boudria, <laughs> um, Andre Boudria, yeah. Jean Perron. Oh. And I walked in there and I told those guys exactly what was on my mind. That's unbelievable. And, I, I never knew this. Oh, yeah. This is incredible. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, I'm going down because you signed that Swedish player, Shel Dahlin, and he's on a one-way, and I'm on a two-way, and I'm getting screwed, and uh, I think it's bull crap, and on and on. And they all looked at each other and they looked at me and they said, well, yeah, Serge, I think, said something like, well, we make the decisions who plays here, not you. And it was, so, see you later. That's it. And then I went down and then you guys needed, you know, you needed a right winger and call up and they would send, literally, I think they would send anything but me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got they they had two that's right wingers down. They were calling that's up, all sir. They were calling you know it. Yeah, they were calling up left wingers <laughs> and, and centers. And uh and then I, I really, you know, with with Pierre Kramer was my junior coach. He had me in juniors and then he was coaching me again. And there was no no wiggle room, no negotiating to be done. Um, and I had to play and I, and I bucked and it, I was miserable for the first part of the season. And at Christmas time, um, I realized, if, okay, they're going to win. And, 
and uh, I'm not going to have a career. I better get my stuff together and start playing. Well, you did, and right? I, I started you got playing. it together. And that year in Sherbrooke, right, is you, you just won the uh, Call the Cup, right? As a, No. No, that, that was the that year That was the before. year before, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was I was in juniors uh, winning the, the junior championship with Verdun. But that year, Knuckles, that's when, you know, I got called up. Mario got hurt. And uh, I remember I was out walking and we didn't have all the stuff we have today. I had a little radio with, with a headset and I was out walking and uh, listening to the game and on the radio. And I heard that Mario had gone out and hurt his shoulder. And uh, I said to myself, this is, you know, I went to bed thinking this is my chance. Like this is my chance. And early in the morning, Serge woke me up and I got called up, went to Boston, I think. And, you know, I never went back down. I went down, I went back to Sherbrooke to pick up my stuff, but that was eight games to go. And then the rest is history. We won the cup. Wow, yeah. Actually, you played 10 games that year. You had a goal and two assists yeah. for three points in the regular season. And then the playoffs come and you kicked it into another gear. Now, man, I'll never forget that season. 10 goals that season. Um, two overtime, four game winners, two overtime. I remember the one in New York, <laughs> up, up top corner, I, after the half a goal. And when I think of that playoff series, as difficult as it was for us, okay, Boston was pretty easy win, first round, three zip. Yeah. Hartford was our Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Yes or no? For sure. That was Without it. Without a doubt. They were, uh, they were a great team. Awesome team. They, what they, great players. Um, yeah. And and we end up uh, game seven. And you, and it's funny, um, who was it? Um, was it, we had Chris Chelios on here. Yeah. And he talked to um, about that game seven and you scoring the goal. And we had talked about it. And he said, but Knox, don't you remember like the shift before you had this unbelievable back check? And I don't remember it. Like, I don't remember. He said, you made this unbelievable back check that saved the goal. Claude and then went on the ice the next shift and you scored the goal. And then I don't remember the back check. <laughs> like, I got this famous back check or something. And all I'm thinking is your goal. But, you know, I was telling Barry on that goal and you, you can see it. And he saw it. But I think it was Quenville tried to play you. And you just yeah. mushed him. See you later and walked out of the corner. Whalers trying to get it out and they can't. Lemieux. To the side of the net. And bodies all over the place. Here's Lemieux with a shot. Scores! Oh, yes, it did. The Canadians have won it. I was never so happy in my life. But what a way to start. What, like Going back to that goal. Like, for you, a good chain new, Quebec kid, forum, like scoring that goal. What was that like for you? It was like everything happened at you know at once and you know how it is you get your you get your confidence and and um i forget how many games i played that year but of course i didn't produce much but you know playoffs started and i had had a lot of success in my junior days and then in midget and then youth hockey in tournaments i just loved the big moments and i just i just felt i could do it and i got on a roll and the team started, you know, believing in what I could do a bit more every game. And I believed in myself a bit more every game. And we were so we were so young. We had eight rookies in that lineup that year. But 
the big but is we had such quality veterans and again yourselves and carbo and larry and and bob and and all those guys bobby smith and matt snaslin we were incredibly well surrounded and uh it was a it was a great combination and and i was playing i was so just grateful and happy to be there I, there was no fear there was no fear of losing because every game was a was a bonus and and scoring that goal french canadian kid in front of your family um yeah. i forget how many tickets i had that night but every <laughs> every dollar i had in my bank account was spent <laughs> on tickets and and it was like it doesn't get bigger than that and people ask me why did you like dive and i said because first of all it was a really long shift i think i've been out there for like a minute and 15 seconds banging the coach around. was probably pissed you were out there too long probably um <laughs> again again out there too long Lemieux and but under the bar and uh it was just it was just the best to this day yeah. it's the, the greatest goal i ever scored yeah, it's and again, awesome for me because you know I always say, and I don't think it'll ever happen again, that two rookies go one and two in the Conn Smythe voting. I I don't think it happened to that point, and it'll never happen again. I just don't believe it will. But that being said, um, you know we go on, we we dispatch the Rangers, then the Stanley Cup Final was incredible uh, feeling to win the Stanley Cup your first year. And, and to do it with the Canadians. I think back my first year, it was four in a row. My first year, we were going for number five. We lost in game seven in overtime to Minnesota, Bobby Smith's first year there. And I was heartbroken. And to this day, I walk around here in, in Montreal, and people will see me. They go, hey, Knuckles, how many cups you got? And I go, one. And they go, only one? I mean, a few, <laughs> only one. You don't know what it took to get that one. and Because yeah. everybody here has like five, six, you know, Flower, Henry, uh, Rocket, all of them, and, and Ivan. And... But, you know, what's, what's incredible about Claude's Stanley Cups is you did it with three different teams, where most people do it with one team. I mean, the guys that ran up eight Stanley Cups, I bet you most of them were with Montreal. You did it with Montreal, New Jersey, and Colorado, which is unbelievable. But let me ask you one question. This is kind of getting off the subject because you mentioned about confidence. I always wondered, a guy who plays as well as you play and it can be as dominant as you are, do you lose confidence? Are there times in your career you, you start saying to yourself, even though you know you shouldn't, but that you actually lose confidence? Absolutely. Um, and, and that's why... That's why if you can relate to other sports, that's why you watch the, some of the greatest golfers in the game and how they just disappear. And they just, you know, whether it's Jordan Spieth or, or others, um, they have it and they lose it. And it's not the swing. It's just that you go through a period of time when the second guessing gets into your head, um, it, it gets really difficult to overcome it. And I was fortunate I played a team sport. Like I went through it. I was going through a difficult time in, in 1994 and going through uh, a divorce. And so on the personal side, I had a lot going on. And, and we had that short season. 
and I felt a lot of pressure. I'd finally gotten through that, you know, the, the divorce and the settlement and, and, you know, for, for a very long time, I hadn't felt that financial pressure like I was feeling. So I really want to play well. And, uh, and I had a horrible, uh, regular season and then was able to turn the switch on. And there were other things happening in, in my life off the ice that, uh, meeting my present wife and, and feeling, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I was, uh, able to get my confidence back. So I went from one of my worst regular seasons of all time to one of my best playoffs of all time, scoring, you know, 13 goals and winning MVP. So yeah, you, you, you do lose your confidence and you second guess being a team sport, you know, it helps to be around others and others pick you up and can help you get back where you, where you were or where you should be. Yeah, they certainly, and you're right about that guy. You, you, they can cover for you. I know, I, you know, some of the times I took those stupid penalties at times, and and you, you, know, you never, you, you never did that. <laughs> and, and 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 your teammates do cover for you. And there's times they they try and they don't, but um, believe me, um, it's a good feeling when they do, uh, and you know that. But so, yeah, those Stanley Cups, and I, I want to know, like. Cause I was gone, you know, and I had a problem with Pudding Head, and you know Pudding Head, um, Jean Perron. That's who I'm talking about. And 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 listen, I put, I've kind of put, the, I I've forgiven him. It's done. It's over. I get it. But I call him Pudding Head because he was a Pudding Head. But <laughs> <laughs> Pep, um, I never knew when I was gone. Like, why did Claude Lemieux leave the Montreal Canadiens? Well, actually. It, it, for me, it had nothing to do with John Perron. Uh, he, you know, he was uh, he was no longer with us. Um, yeah. It to me was about about Burnsy, and you know, Pat and I played. Um, I mean, I played against him. He coached junior hockey at the time that I was playing junior hockey, so we had a an ongoing rivalry. And but Pat and I got along great off the ice a um, couple meetings we had with Serge and Serge was like you know I don't I don't want to you guys need to figure this out you guys need to go have a beer or whatever and you guys need to work out your differences because this coach is going nowhere and you Claude you're not going anywhere and um, but you know Pat just didn't think that I guess he didn't think I was as good as I thought I could be. Like, I thought there was more for me. Um, I thought that I could get to a level where, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill penalties. I'm going to play in key situations. And I'm not just a one-dimensional player. And, and Pat was playing other players ahead of me. And as you know, I was pretty stubborn and yeah. didn't, didn't sit well with me. And... Um, so that's that's how I ended up getting traded, and I gave it everything I had. I was injured in in '89 when we were in the finals against Calgary. I had the the st the stomach tear, and I came back the following year. And I told Serge, like, you know, I'm gonna play, but I'm gonna finish the season. But I'm, you know, you gotta you gotta trade me. And he's giving me his word that he would put something together by by the training camp in 1990, and that's when I was moved.
So you go to the devils, um, I'm sure, uh, accepting you with open arms. And, and um, you know, I remember I was in the Rangers at the time, and I remember the headlines there when when you had Herb Brooks, his coach, he'd come out in the newspaper and just let you have it. Like, listen, Herb, he had an awesome time uh, coaching the U.S. Olympic team. He did an awesome job. But I, he could never... He never adjusted to the NHL style, and certainly, he 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 didn't like you, obviously, because the things he said were disparaging. But boy, he was out the door pretty quickly. And um, what I want to get to is how Jacques Lemaire comes to New Jersey, because Jacques was up here, Barry, coaching the Habs. He became assistant GM. He didn't want to coach. He didn't want the pressure. Him and the flower thing. Did not go over well uh, when Flower had to retire. Uh, and he just, he didn't want that. Anyway, he's up here now, assistant GM with Big Surge. And um, Pepe's down in, in um, <laughs> New Jersey. Tell us a story about how Jacques Lemaire becomes the coach of the New Jersey Devils. Well, you know, uh, I had a great year with, if you look at my numbers, my best point year ever was with, Herb Brooks, um, he was just, he, he was just, you know, God bless him. He's in heaven. And I don't feel good talking about people who are no longer with us because oh, they, okay. they don't have a voice anymore, but he was just very different. Uh, he was not, he was not for me. Um, you know, he, he walk in the locker room and say, you know, Lemieux, what is two plus two equal? And, I wouldn't even answer. And, you know, he'd say, I, I, I know you think it equals four, but it doesn't. And I'd be like, I, I don't even want to answer that. It was just very strange. Um, mm. I think he had a great hockey mind, um, but I didn't think he was a coach for us. And, and at the end of the year, I, I wanted out. And uh, um, I just, you know, I, I, I voiced my... He'd call me a cancer, and I said, well, he couldn't be more accurate. I am a cancer. I was born July 16th, you know. <laughs> I, I'm a cancer. Um, and uh, so I, I, I just thought my days were over with, with uh, the Devils. And um, I, I talked to the media about it after the game. We got, we got destroyed by Pittsburgh. It was, we didn't even belong on the same ice surface. Um, and... Um, and I got a call from Dr. McMullen, the owner of the team, and he was a very involved owner, uh, Dr. Mack, and and, uh, and he just, uh, he was around the room. He wanted, he'd take us on golf trips, et cetera, and we just had breakfast, and he said, I, I'm not, you know, I read this thing about you being traded. I'm not going to trade you, and I said, and it was not like unusual to go for breakfast with the owner. He would do that with other players too, and yeah, I bring heard us that. over to his yeah. house. And he was very close to the team. He and Yogi Berra would train in the gym and yeah. bring the dogs in the locker room. And um, so we had breakfast, and you know, and I said, "Well, what are you going to do then? I, I I can't play for you know Herb Brooks and." you have him for another two years. And he says, that's, that's my problem. I'm, I'm, Lou and I are going to take care of that. And I said, okay. And, uh, and then he said, I, I think I, 
I want to bring back Tom McVie. And I said, I love Tommy McVie. Tommy was like having my dad coaching me. I love Tommy. But I said, you can't do yeah. that. You know, Tommy's set in his ways. He's not really, I don't think he crazy about coaching European players. And at that time, we were really uh, innovative. So we, Fatisovs was there and Kasatonov and with Peter Stasny, we had, a you know, quite a few European players. Lou was drafting all and signing all those guys. And so Dr. Mack and I had a conversation and he's like, well, who do you think would be a good coach? And I said, really? And he's like, yeah. And I said, Jacques Lemaire. And he looks at me and he goes, who? And I said, Jacques <laughs> Lemaire. And he goes, who is Jacques Lemaire? And I said, well, he's, you know, he's assistant GM in Montreal. And, uh, and uh, he said, I don't want a GM or assistant GM. Lou's doing a great job. And I said, oh, I know. I said, you asked for who I think would be a good coach. And he said, so he's a good coach. How do you know? I said, because I, because I, I, I know I had him. I, very short period of time. But I just, you know, I got to know Jacques. Training camp, played a few games for him. Yeah. I, just, I just thought he had a brilliant mind. And It's uh, easy to find that out, right? Yeah. Like you did in that short time. I yeah. spent a little more time with him. And the best I ever had. Yeah. Like the best coach I've had. He, he, he just, plus, I mean, who can walk into a locker room with, at the time, whatever, when he came to Jersey, he, he, he walks in with whatever, five, six Stanley Cups in his pockets, and then he brings his assistant, you know, Big Bird <laughs> Robinson, with <laughs> another five, six Stanley Cups. So that takes care yeah. of all the second guessing. And, you know, you can never, you can never duplicate that. Now, what Dr. Mack did with Lou to get Jacques, I have no clue and had nothing to do with any of Cha -ching. that. But, Cha Ching. Uh, exactly. But I did say it at breakfast. I said, but if you ever go down that path, it's not going to be cheap. No, I yeah, knew Jacques would sure. not come there. But I thought it'd be a great fit. No media or hardly any media. And you can have your own life. Uh, you don't have to answer questions for an hour every day. And um, and he did what he was best at. He was a he was a teacher, and people knuckles ask me all the time. But why do you think he's the best coach you ever had? I said all the other coaches told us what to do. Jacques Lemaire told you why he wanted you to do it, uh, right? And, and he could show you exactly. You know, they told you, but he could show you. He could too. show you. He could walk it. And he never taught system at a high pace. Everybody wants to teach system at a fast pace. He was teaching system. Uh, we couldn't break the sweat. When he would say like today, walk, you would walk, we through would every... walk it. He would walk <laughs> you through a four check. And we'd look at each other and roll our eyes and go, oh my gosh, I haven't even broken the sweat. And he'd yeah. say, you can bag yourself after practice if you want, do whatever. But today we're going to work on system. And the system we're working on is because we're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins and they do this, this, and that, and we're going to do this and yeah. this way. And this is why... We're going to take that. We're going to take what they do away from them. Exactly. And I'll show you how we're going to do that. And and he could tell... not He was a center iceman. 
Yeah. But he could tell wingers how to do it. He could tell defensemen how to do it. And the goalie just stopped the fucking puck. That's how he was. He <laughs> said, we played, we played uh, Boston the, the year we won the Cup in 95. And, and uh, he said, when, when, when Bork gets the puck, the first four checker is going to flush him to his forehand. Now, nobody would force Bork to his forehand. Everybody would want to force Bork to his backhand. And then he'd say on the breakout, we're going to give Bork one option. So my nickname, Peppy, thanks to you, he'd say, (laughs) Pep, you're going to stand. I don't want you 20 feet. I want you about 10, 12 feet away from Neely. And you're going to leave him wide open. And the only option Bork is going to have is Neely. And when he passes the puck over to Cam Neely, then you can jump him (laughs) and finish your hits, which, you know, and that's how we played. Everything was calculated and everybody, and he made it so easy. I mean, it was never really tiring to play his system. All you had to do is do your job. You know what the the hardest, and I mentioned this to Barry before, the hardest part about the system Jacques would put in place was getting really superstar players to buy in and then rookies because rookies young kids yeah there wasn't a whole lot of skating involved you know you had to be in position and yeah there was you had to be in position but you had to you know it wasn't a lot of skating so young kids often felt they weren't doing enough so they they would be you know a little rambunctious anxious to get in the play and they jump out of position and then the certainly the the superstar players had a more difficult time because they didn't think, well, I'm not going to be able to get any offense off of this. Although it was a great way to score off a transition game and guys could score off it. Right, Pep? You know better than anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it became, it was brilliant in, in 95 because I had such a poor regular season. Jacques said, I just want you to shadow. So first round, you're going to play Neely. If you shut down Neely, we have a great chance of winning. Second round, we're playing Pittsburgh. So I'm playing Yager. So same thing. I didn't really have a line. I'm just going to play whenever Yager's on the ice, I'm jumping. And you are a pain in the prick to play against. And I was no fun. And then I I went to, then we played Philly. And it was Lindros, right? And last round was... Stevie Y with Detroit. And I think all those guys combined, and it just shows if you play strong defense, all those guys combined scored, I think, five or six goals. And individually, I ended up with 13. So there you go. By playing great defense, I ended up getting rewarded. He was 20 years ahead of his time because look at how we play today. And where he picked that up, a lot of it, he was very, very smart and he had a great hockey mind. Then he coached in Europe. And as you know, Knuckles in bigger ice surface, yeah. you can't run around, right? No. So he coached and he was in Switzerland and he coached and they had no red line. So he developed the system and he learned the system, how they played sort of that trap. He brought it over and implemented it way ahead of the time. That, that's how every team pretty much plays today. Nobody is, you know, nobody's running around with a 2-1-2. Everybody's cautious. When the other team's got control, there's 
hardly any teams that's going to pressure. Everybody's retrieving back. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's no question about it. He's rubbed off on a lot of people uh, as far as systems and stuff like that. Pep, um, yeah, so the Cups in Jersey, awesome stuff. And then um, you end up moving on uh, to Colorado, baby, Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> and, you know, that Stanley Cup team, it's crazy. I always, I feel bad for the Quebec City people. I really do. Because here they have that team all those years. In the first, well, the first year they move out, yeah. they didn't win. No, we won. We won. No, right they away. won the first year. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, but that first year being out of Quebec City and then goes to Colorado and then win the Stanley Cup, I was like, oh, those poor people. Now, did they ever go back and bring the cup there? The avalanche, or I, I think they did. I'm not sure if Pierre Lacroix did it himself, but there, there yeah. was something that oh, was done. Um, the poor people of Quebec, absolutely. and honestly, even though you know we had that rivalry and everything, I felt bad that you know all those years, and all of a sudden they leave and they win it in Colorado the first year. But let, let's talk about uh, you know, obviously, you, you were a pain in the ass to play against, you're a prick, you said stuff to people that. Certainly, I heard things that I would never have said to people, <laughs> but that's okay. That's your style. <laughs> you get under people's skin, um, you know, and, and a lot of people said you turtled on the, on the McCarty fight, but um, I beg to differ, and I know what happened there. That's why. Some people seeing it looks like you're turtling, but um, if any of those people who thought that got punched in the head like you did, they might have thought otherwise. But uh, let's go back to that. What was a game six? What mm -hmm. I guess the lead up to that hit, what you did when you hit Draper, broke his face open, whatever. But what happened um, in the lead up to all that? Well, I, as you know, we, we, you know, I played Detroit, sort of built a little bit of a rivalry personally with them the year before. We beat them. They were big time favorites, and we beat them four straight with New Jersey. Then I go to Colorado. And we're playing them in the conference finals. And, you know, um, Adam Foote gets hit facing the board by Kozlov. Uh, that's in game, might have been game four. And, uh, and Adam Foote's pulled out on a stretcher. His, his face is, I think he broke his eye bone or cheekbone. And uh, as he's being pulled out, you know, I told Footy, I said, I'm going to get him back. So late in the game, we got a good lead. And I had a crack at Kozlov behind the net, and I just suckered him. And <laughs> so I get suspended for the following game, which I think was game five in, uh, or game four. I got suspended game four. And then game five, we're in Detroit, and I'm back in the lineup. I had a one-game suspension. And, you know, I'm playing – tentative and we lost uh, so before game six um, Crawford said you know Pep you get you can't play you can't be tiptoeing your game is all all in and go play go play your game we need a big game so uh, you know Chris is Chris Draper skating sort of backwards looking at me with the puck I'm going to the bench on the line change and, you know, subconscious kicks in. I got to finish my hit. And I finish, and it's one one too many. And, you know, the rest is history. And I, 
I was in Detroit actually for the 25th anniversary of that hit and the whole thing. And actually not the hit, but the fight the following year with the, with uh, McCarty. And, uh, and we'll get to that. But and, yeah, that, and, and the hit we're talking about was the hit on Chris Draper, by the way. Yeah. He, what he fractured his orbital bone, his concussion. He, he, he cracked his, uh, broke his jaw, uh, lost some teeth. And, um, you know, it kind of looked like, yeah, you're on the way to the bench. You kind of hit him from behind. Yeah. Um, he was vulnerable. There's no question. But that happens. It's part of the game sometimes where you make a decision. And that, believe me, I've done it. I've, I've made those decisions and you end up paying and you, you end up having to answer for what you did. And I did, and you did. So j just to let the listeners know what, what, uh, was happening there. But so Draper gets messed up and then, uh, all hell breaks loose. What, what happens next? Well, I mean, we beat him that night. So, um, there was a lot of bad blood. The people in Detroit were very upset. I got two game suspension in the finals but the, the team didn't really need me we were playing florida which was an expansion team and they over they overachieved and we you know we were a strong team we beat him four straight i came back for the last two and we wrapped it up it was you know the following year but um, after the, the hit pep after the pit hit wasn't there a big fight though, no right no we had no not, it wasn't not, there nothing that year nothing happened the following year um i missed most of the first part of the season uh, because of uh, injury. And so everybody was waiting for the big return, the big, you know, the first game. Uh, call. So you got like five months. You got five months you're like exactly anticipating. So first game was in Colorado. So I was ready for anything and nothing happened. So there was a couple bumps with Chris Draper and with McCarty, but really nothing, nothing happened that game. So I thought, well, you know, I guess nothing's going to happen. We go to Detroit and then, you know, in the warm up, the league says everybody mandatory, um, helmets in the warm up. When we got to Detroit police escort, um, Lemieux, no roommate, full-time police officer outside your, your, your hotel room because I was getting death threats, um, you know, through the team, et cetera. So I was more concerned about getting shot than I was about, you know, getting in a fight. And, yeah. you know, the rest is history. The game starts, I forget, I think it was in the second period and Forsberg and stirs it up with Larry Yanov and they get mixed up and I'm going in, but you know, I looked at You're it. You're going and, in for a look. You're I'm going in for a look. And yeah. I should not have gone in for looking, <laughs> you, you know, uh, McCarty is a tough guy and, and he could land a hard punch and he hit me hard with the glove on. And when that happened, did I stay down without a doubt? I mean, I was just hanging on because I was half in half out and I knew I was going to get, and I was getting hit. I could feel it. I was sort of out of it. And, um, that's what happened. Yeah, and um, you, you know what I liked is certainly that happened and Patrick was fighting, everybody was oh. going at it. But what I liked is the next season or the next time you played when you two face off again after that. And yeah. you started the game on the right side. McCarthy's a right, McCarthy's a right winger. He was on the right side. But before the puck drops, you switch over and you go to the left wing, which I absolutely freaking loved. 
And you're sitting there, you're just looking at him, sticking your face right there, saying, yeah, we're going to go. And he's probably saying, yeah, sure, sure. And you drop him, and you answer the bell, which I, I thought was awesome. I, I think he was a little bit surprised, no? Yeah, because, you know, my my roommate was Jeff Audger, and we brought on some some toughness that year. It's good to have Audrey there. And Audrey was <laughs> greatest guy and so tough. And he was like, Pep, you're not fighting McCurdy. And I go, oh, yeah, I have to do it myself. I owe that to yeah. myself, my teammates. I got to put an end to this garbage. And no, I'm not going to let you do it. And I go, Audrey, you're going to be on the ice, and I'm starting the game. And if I'm starting the game, you know that they're going to put McCarty out. And you just make sure I don't have to fight two guys. And, yeah. and I said, like, by the way, I know he's a lefty. I said, I haven't fought a lefty in a long time. What do I do? He goes, well, if you're going to fight him, just throw more than he's going to throw. <laughs> and don't worry about righty, lefty. So I move over to the left side, and I purposely bumped into McCarty. And Darren says, like, what are you doing? And I said, you'll see. And he's like, yeah, sure. And I didn't give him a chance. I was going to be ready. Well, that's good. Get it. You got the drop on him. But yeah. you switched up, too. I saw you threw lefts, too. You threw yeah. rights and lefts, which was good. I watched the fight. I critiqued it. You did a hell of a job. You know, and again, that kid's a tough kid and a smart fighter, but you did well. And, and, and the biggest thing is you showed up. Yeah. You know, that to me. And you know that. Yeah, and, but, uh, and I knew I had to. And nobody yeah. really had to tell me. I knew that... You know, I just had to put an end to it, and I couldn't send somebody else. I was, you know, I was yeah. not. I could defend myself. I was not a, a tough guy like you were, and and um, but sometimes you yeah, gotta, you were tough you in a lot up. of different ways, Pep. Though, you know, you were tough. You could hit. You could take a hit. You got, yeah. But come on, but you know, and I think of that. And by the you know, way, were you going to say something, Barry? Chris, go ahead. Chris, hop in Chris, there. I watched the go. YouTube of that this morning. You yeah. actually, Claude, you threw about twenty punches in about three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it was like I was watching. See, I could, it was I like a coach. catharsis. I think it was like a catharsis. Like I'm not gonna take this shit anymore. I'm just gonna. I mean, it was like I don't think he knew it hit him for a while. It was like, holy mackerel! It was like a hurricane yeah. after me. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just really, um, you know, I want to go go back to and I, I skipped over at the time in Montreal, but you remember Philadelphia, right? Uh, oh. The fight to end all fights. And I, I want to just touch on that because, and, and it's funny, I have a, um, someone made me a thing, a, a little figurines with uh, myself and Dave Brown. Dave with no jersey on and me with my jersey on. And it, we, we go back to that brawl that ends all brawls. And for those of you who don't know, back uh, in was 87. 87. And, and we're in the playoffs against Philadelphia. Um, and Claude... And Shane Corson used to do this thing before the game, after warm-up. They would pass the puck to each other and go down and put it in the open net, Philly's net. It was kind of a superstitious thing. Yeah, but we well, never went down. Right? We did that time, but we always just shot it from our, our own Yeah, you didn't line. go into the yeah. end of the ring. We would just but shoot you had, the... ha Yeah, explain that. Yeah, so I would just, you know, Corson would... I like to stay on the ice a long time, get a really good sweat. And so course would always wait for me by the board where the, the door was and I would throw my puck down. Sometimes I'd miss, sometimes I'd make it. It was just a 
superstitious. It was a routine more than anything. Yeah. And we get in the playoffs against Philly, and we do that the first game. And, you know, Philly, they didn't dress 22 in the warm-up. They dressed 26, 26. 27, who knows. Yeah. They always had an army. So they had these guys. So we waited a long time for those guys to get off. And they got off, and we put our puck, and we went on about our business. We won the game. The next game, these guys wouldn't get off the ice. They, they're going to stay on. They're looking at us, and I'm looking at course, and I said, I think they're waiting for us. And he's like, no, no. So we're waiting, waiting, and they, they're buzzing the clock, you know. And so we, we wait, and they – so it turns, and then they, they go beyond that. They turn the net around. Yeah. And so I said, well, we're, we're definitely not going to throw the puck down. Not with these guys out there. had all the tough guys. So we get off, we lose the game. And, and then on and on, it progressed from there. I try to throw the puck around the wall so it would hit in the glass. Maybe it gets in that way. And we got to, which game six, I think. Yeah. And we we, did, we couldn't do it game five. And so, you know, no one would ever believe me. But so Bob came to us, Bob Giney, and said, you guys, just get off the ice and just close, come behind the curtain. When they're out, when they're off the ice, you go back. <laughs> <laughs> so we get off and they close the curtain like they always did at the old forum. And... We wait and we look through the cracks and everybody's gone or we think they're gone and we step on the ice. And when we stepped on the ice, the fans start cheering and I'm not going to just shoot it. I'm going to go put it in the net yeah. <laughs> and course is following me. And next thing I see knuckles, I put the puck in the net and I go behind mm -hmm. the net and I see guys coming <laughs> and Chico Resch got the stick like he's going to take my head off. He swings at me, misses me, and Eddie Ospedar jumps me. And mm -hmm. I managed to flip him over. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is crazy. This is warm-up. Yeah. And the rest is history. We fought, or you fought, um, oh. everybody. And there was it went on for like 20, 25 minutes. And and, it was, and you it were was fighting, crazy. and Larry was fighting, and everybody ah. was fighting, and and um, and their best players stayed. This was all they were. This was staged. They were prepared for it. Yeah, they they dressed twenty six guys. Yeah. Mike Keenan did this. Yeah, and he had Ed Hospa, who wasn't going to play, and um, Brown was. He didn't come out right away, but and Chico Resch. I was in the locker room with other guys. I'm I'm got my skates undone. I'm sitting there just resting. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't even I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't know you guys were doing this. I was made aware of it um, afterwards. I'm there. What were they doing? Oh, scoring, shooting the puck in the net. You know, they had a thing, but the warm up. And I'm like, really? So anyway, I'm sitting there, I'm relaxing, getting ready for the big game, and sure enough. Someone come, the usher come running in, the security. He said, hey, hurry up. They're attacking clothes and chain. I said, hurry. And I'm there, what? They're, no, there's a fight. And so, boom, I, 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 I run out, and I didn't tie my skates yet, and I saw what was going on. I bent over real quick and did my skates, and that's when I come out, and I grabbed Samuelson, the big one, and I'm there. I don't know if I want to fight him because someone else is going to come out here, and Samuelson ain't really a fighter. He's big, but... 
I don't want to fight him. I'm not going to let him do anything, but I don't want to fight. And then here comes Dave Brown with no jersey on. And I'm telling you, I fought him. I, I, I was with him for about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. And the worst, right, Pep, the worst part about that, like we'd fight. You know, I went down, I'd get up, I'd throw a punch again. And it was a hell of a fight. And <laughs> we didn't stop. And we finally stopped. But the game started. And I was junk, pal. Oh, yeah. See, I, right, I played a regular shift. Dave right. Brown didn't. He did not play one shift that goddamn all, game. All our top guys were fried. I was dead. Talk I was it, dead. Talk it never came on the ice. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 Ron Eckstall stayed in the room. I think uh, Dave Poulin stayed in the room. Yeah. And I think Murray Craven stayed in the room. Like yep. a lot of their top guys never came on the ice. We were outnumbered. But, yep. you know... I never knew until I saw videos years later that they were hiding. Chico was hiding. Yeah, they were hiding behind, behind, the... behind the bench. <laughs> yeah. That's why the fans knew something was happening because they they could see those guys were hiding. No, it was, this is insanity. And, and and the referees, they said we're not coming out there. Screw this. You yeah. guys are gonna act like this. You can clean it up yourself. It was, it was that police was officers that, ended... that broke it off. Yeah, the cops did. The and cops it, did. Th that <laughs> is the brawl that ends all brawls right there, that one. It was insane. And and also, you couldn't dress, you could only dress 20 for the warm-up, right? That was another thing that came out of that. And so nobody, we actually helped and, the league. And nobody got a nobody got a penalty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nobody got a penalty. Yeah. Nothing. It's ridiculous. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, because it... What are you going to do? The clock wasn't going yet. There was no, no puck. <laughs> so they, so the following year, they made a rule about the amount of players you could dress in the warm-up and then about crossing yeah. over on the other side. The right? red line. No more skating over the other team's red line. So, Pep, we got, I got a few more if I can ask you. And I want to go, I want to ask you four Stanley Cups, which is, to, I, and I, I, I know a lot of guys who win Cups that we ask them, uh, which is the... The cup for you, the like, the best. It, you know, of course, it's Montreal. I know Montreal. they're all awesome. Yeah. They're all different. They're all different. But, but your first cup is, yeah. it's to win it and to win it as a rookie, uh, to play a significant role in winning Huge. it, and then to be in your hometown in front of your family, your friends, and then it's the Montreal Canadiens, and you know that parade. It, it, it just oh. never gets better than that. It just doesn't. Yeah. Now, yeah. was it great to win MVP in Jersey? Of course. Was it great to win back-to-back -back and win in Colorado and, and have a, an unbelievable uh, homecoming in Colorado and have a beautiful parade? Yes, but it was nothing like being 20 years old and winning your first Stanley Cup in your hometown. And with a million people, at I the think parade, it was two right? million people. I mean, it was yeah, crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, Barry, it was unbelievable. Yeah, like sick. Crazy. Did what do you, you got? Barry? I want to know if you emulate any players growing up. Did you base your style off anybody or do you just that was that was you was you? Yeah, I, mean, I you know, I was a defenseman first. I played D until I was uh, 14. So I love you know, I love Serge, I love Larry Robinson, but I was a right-handed shot. So um, they didn't have many uh, right-handed, offensive-minded defensemen. I was always up the ice. So they said, 
you might as well play forward because you're never defending anyway. And I hated to block shots. So it was, it was a good move. That makes two of yeah. us. And then, uh, yeah. and then I, um, I became a, a, a you know, right winger. So, of course, we all loved the flower and wanted to yeah. shoot a slapper. And I had a really good you know, slap shot. So we tried to. But I realized really quickly I'm never going to be flower and I'm not going to be Mike Bossy or I'm not going to be, you know, those pure goal scorer. I'm going to be more like Dale Hunter. Um, yeah. And he was a center, but I thought that's that's going to be my guy. And, um, you know, by coincidence or not, I, when I, when I first started with the Canadians, they threw number 32 on my, on my back. And that was his number in Quebec. And, <laughs> and I think that was maybe calculated, uh, that they felt I could become that, that kind of player. What, what's it like? What's it like to watch your son play? Do you get as much joy? I mean, it's I wonder, hard as a father. What's it, what's it like? It's incredibly that's... hard. It's uh, I did I did not want any of my boys. I have three boys. I have my Chris and Mike, my older boys from my my first marriage, and I didn't want them really to play. And but they grew up in in Quebec and spent more most of their youth in Quebec. So of course they're going to play. And uh, they came from a hockey family with their grandpa and their mom's side and all great hockey players and so i let him play it was their choice and they didn't have what it took to get to the next level and then you know brendan wanted to do the same thing so what are you going to do you support him and uh, um and i knew that it, you know it wouldn't be easy for for any of them if they chose to play it's never never easy to follow your father's footsteps and no. in anything you do um you know, and, and, and Chris knows Brendan's got a, you know, part of his, uh, his, his role, his job is to, you know, to drop the gloves and fight. And um, I'm no different than all the other dads or moms out there as a parent. You, you know, you have anxiety and, and you worry about them and, and, and uh, you stay up late and you watch the games when he's on the West Coast. And I'm just an, another, uh, another dad. Yeah, it's funny. I remember when my wife, at Karen, at the time, um, she was pregnant with uh, young Christopher. And I remember Serge coming back to me, and he kept telling me, don't name, don't make him a junior. He said, don't. I did this. It's a mistake. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm now I'm going to name him Chris anyway. And I'm not going to say it was a mistake, but Chris Nyland growing up in Boston, with that name, Nylon would have been enough. He would have took enough heat. Absolutely. But with the name Chris, he took some more heat. And, um, you know, he's, I think he's a better man for it today. And he got through all that. But I think he had a difficult time in high school at times with that because I named him, I made him a junior. I, you know, I should have listened to Big Serge. And, you know, I played with Junior. I played with Serge's son. We were teammates in junior hockey. And yeah. And he was a good player, and, and it was tough. And the media and the fans were unfair, uh, at least in my view, on how they treated him. Um, yep. I, thought he had, I thought he had the tools to make it, but frankly, I think they just took the will out of him. And, and uh, sometimes it's, it can be easier, but most of the time it's tougher for the, the kids to follow their parents' footsteps.
So, Pep, um, I know you were an agent for a while. You work with Graf. What are you doing now? Still representing players. It's been uh, 12 years. So, uh, you know, the company's uh, grown significantly, and we have uh, about 250 players around the world, and uh, we have about uh, 35 guys here uh, between the cool. NHL and the American League. And then uh, we're busy, and I'm also involved uh, – also one of the partners in a real estate deal here in Florida. So we're building a, a community golf course and a few hundred homes. Good so between uh, between the hockey and, and the, the real estate development, um, I'm pretty busy. Um, I, can yeah, I ask well, him my favorite question? Yeah. Let Listen, me ask my favorite Barry, question. Absolutely. There, let me you, talk. Pain in the ass, Barry, <laughs> go right ahead. Well, I just want to let you know, though, we hear this is the fourth time Chris mentioned in this podcast about his famous back check. I just want you to know that. We hear about his back check and his 21 goals. I normally. had to be famous for something, and, Barry. That's right. My favorite question is, what would what would the first line in your hockey eulogy say? What would you like it to say in your hockey? If someone was writing a hockey eulogy for Claude Lemieux. I don't know. That's hard. Um, this is such a great question, yeah. Barry. You asked everybody, and everybody <laughs> said that's hot. It's, quote, it's funny. I would just, I don't know, something like the bigger it got, the better he played. There you go. That was terrific. You couldn't be more on the money with that. I mean, the, the bigger the, the moment, the bigger you played. There's no question about it. I was witness to that, um, and I, I was a beneficiary of that. And, and that is one of the reasons... One of the biggest reasons right here, our guest today, Claude Lemieux, why I have a Stanley Cup ring on my finger, Claude. You're a good man, Pep. Uh, uh, and you certainly have matured since that first day peeing on the rocks in the <laughs> sauna. <laughs> oh, Lord. We all did some uh, goofy stuff. Uh, oh, didn't we ever. And, uh, but, I, but I learned. And I, you know, I remember, yep. I don't know, I had done something else. And I got to say, before I let you guys go, and in my early days in Montreal, and I, I absolutely loved Larry Robinson. I just looked up to him so much. And I'd said or done something stupid. And and Larry, and I, I, I was walking by the shower, and I overheard him say, like, oh, this kid, my gosh, is so stupid, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And I was crushed. And I waited the other guys, and Larry would always take, you remember, Knuckles, he'd take these long showers. He'd be in the shower for 15 yeah. minutes. And yeah. he was still in there, and I went in there by my, I waited for the other guys to leave, and I went in there. It's just he and I, and I tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, Larry, I, I heard what you said, and it, I said, I don't think I'm stupid. I just don't know how to, you know, what to say or what to do around here. And you know mm -hmm. how sensitive he was. And he broke down yeah. and gave two naked guys in the shower. He's giving me a big <laughs> hug. And he's like, I'm sorry. And, you know, from that point on, he was so good to me. So good to me as a teammate, as a friend, as a coach. Um, just yeah, amazing man. Yeah, yeah, he understood. And, again, it's tough, right? He, he was one of those guys coming up. He had all them great guys around him. And, um, you know, they, they, they policed the room and took care of everything. But Larry was like that. That was so awesome. Again, Pep, thanks so much for taking the time.